Morning. My name's Tim, and I'm the pastor here at Smack One. So glad that you could join us, for those of you who are here, and for those of you joining us at home. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father, even as we celebrate <coughs> this Resurrection Sunday, help us, Lord, um, wherever you are, wherever life may find us, we thank you, Lord, that you know full well where we are, and we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. So help us, O Lord, we pray that we may hear you and we hear uh, you speak to us directly, Lord. Uh, please remove aside the distractions of the weak and the cares and the worries of the world, that we may hear clearly from you and that we may be empowered by you to obey you and love you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so I titled uh, my sermon um, this Easter, Gospel Steadfastness in Life's Storms. Particularly knowing that this Resurrection Sunday, this, resur this Easter season, we approach Christ's resurrection amid turbulent times, where many, if not all of us, are facing some kind of storm. Now, life storms, when I, when I use the word life storms, I'm describing events that tend to sweep over, that tend to upend and capsize you. And um, if you do not know what I'm talking about, rest assured, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when that you will face a storm of life. It could happen as simple, it, it just takes a phone call, right? A phone call from the doctor's office with an unwanted diagnosis. A phone call from a loved one with bad news to just turn your life upside down. And for me, there was a point recently, um, end of last year, when a few things were happening, uh, going through, uh, emotionally I was overwhelmed and it was affecting my relationships at home. And I, had, I, I went to find a, a Christian counselor to help me work through uh, what I was facing. Uh, it was just overwhelming for me to do. And I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up more on that later. But I'm sure that I'm not, in a congregation of this size, that I'm not the only one whose life has been impacted by recent events. That I know for a fact that the past few years have not been easy for most, if not all of us. We have in our congregation those who are uh, affected relationally, financially, physically, emotionally, as well as in the career. And in that storm, it could feel as if the waves are unrelenting. So at that moment, what are we clinging on to to keep ourselves from being swept away? If we were on a boat that's in the middle of a storm, you're holding on to dear life so that you're not swept into the ocean. What are you clinging on to? The Corinthian church in early first century was being tossed around by the waves of the world that they were in, of the Greco-Roman world. And in the first letter to Corinthians, it's a correspondence between that church and Paul who planted it. And seeing that the church is going through such an overwhelming influence of the world, Paul resorted time and time again to point them to the gospel that he preached. Now the gospel, as we sung, it means good news, right? Of Jesus' death and his resurrection, that he will come back. And that's what we celebrate this, this weekend at Easter. And that this gospel is the bedrock upon which Paul turns the Corinthians to time and time again. That even as the world sought to sweep them away, that the, the Corinthians were meant to hold fast to the gospel. And I suggest that that applies very much in the storms of our own life no matter where we may be found. So today, uh, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. 
And if you have the outline, uh, you can see that there's three parts. The importance of the gospel, verses 1 and 2. The definition of the gospel, verses 3 and 4. And last but not least, the strength of the gospel in verse 5 to 11. And the takeaway point for us is that we hold fast to the gospel because it is essential, it is vicarious, and it is powerful. And I'll go through what I mean by all those words as we go on. So we start with the importance of the gospel in verse 1 and 2. So reading from verse 1, Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So what's going on here? So I mentioned that the Corinthians were in danger of forgetting the gospel, being overwhelmed by the influence of the world. They were falling away to the point of uh, being in danger of believing in vain. In this chapter in particular, they were being influenced by the Greco-Roman world to reject the resurrection of Christ. So just for a bit of background, you must understand that for for the Greek mind, the physical material is bad. Only the spiritual, the ideal is good. Therefore, the news of Jesus' resurrection after death, it couldn't have been a physical one. He spiritually went straight to heaven. And they were in danger of denying Jesus' physical resurrection. So Paul sought to remind them of the whole gospel that he preached. Bear in mind, these were Christians. They were people who received the gospel and taken their stand on it. Received means the gospel was proclaimed to them, was shared to them in a way that they not just understood, but they accepted that message, that they've taken their stand on it, they've thrown their lot in, they trusted in this message, and that's faith. Faith is uh, about taking a stand. It is not, the gospel is not a neutral message because even back then as it is now, when you believe the gospel, you're saying, I believe in the God of the Bible, and not whatever the world will tell me. It is not a neutral message. It's faith, trust in the God as revealed in the Bible through the gospel. And that faith, belief in this God, saves you. Saves from sin. Saves from the bondage and the eternal consequences of sin. And it saves towards a saving relationship with God the Father and an eternity in life with Him. If they hold fast. You see, Paul was warning them to hold fast and not let go. If they do, if they ever let go, they would have believed in vain, that there was no purpose to that initial, initial confession or whatever they did, that if they depart the gospel by whatever means, for whatever reason, it nullifies the whole thing. Now, in a storm, <clears throat> many things are easily washed away. Things that usually matter a lot to us, in the storm doesn't seem significant anymore. In the light of an unwanted diagnosis or in the face of the death of a loved one, suddenly the comforts, what you have, the stuff that you have, what's in your bank account, your career, those things don't matter that much anymore, isn't it? But even as other things are being washed away, the one thing we cannot afford to let go of is the gospel. We hold fast to the gospel because it's essential, because it's vicarious, and because it's powerful. And that leads us to our first principle, which is the gospel is essential to our endurance. So there's an old adage that says that 
our faith is only worth as much as its object. So I've talked about, spoken of faith as taking a stand to trust in. And if, like in, in life storms, right, we were, we're gripping on so that we're not swept away, right? So yes, it's important to grip on as tightly as you can, but it equally matters what you're holding on to because you do not want to be on that ship in the middle of a storm and having a death grip on dental floss, right? What you're gripping onto matters. And the, only the true gospel has the strength to bear the weight of your fear, of your anxiety, and to keep us grounded. So how can we be so sure that what we're holding on to for dear life is the true gospel? And that's what Paul lists out in our next section, in the next two verses. The definition of the gospel. <clears throat> For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now let me just pause here for a minute, all right? And just marvel at the fact that Paul received and then he passed on and that has been, that's an unbroken event that has hap- been happening for 2,000 years to us today. Isn't it beautiful? that from generation to generation that the Gospels be passed on of first importance and that's why we can stand here, that's why we can celebrate. Yeah, but anyway, back to here. What was it that was passed on? Number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. That Christ, God's Son, Himself, fully God, came into our world, became man without sin and that He died, died the worst the death of the worst criminal on the cross. Why? Because of our sin. And in thus doing, fulfilling what Isaiah wrote 700 years earlier, as we read in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions, the wrong that we did. He was crushed for our iniquities, the the sinful bent in our hearts. And upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were the ones who went away. We were the ones who deserved God's wrath. And Christ took it on our stead. That we were the ones who our sin, our selfishness, iniquity just means uh, corruption, perversion of God's good order. Our iniquity deserves God's justice, that God, a holy and righteous God, cannot and will not leave sin unpunished. Everyone will get their due. Isn't that what we hope for when we see injustice? That justice will be done. That the wrongdoers will get their due. The problem is, we are perpetrators of our own sin. And on the cross we see, what did Jesus do? We see God's wrath, His righteous wrath against sin that desires to destroy sin completely, which is good, combined with his mercy, his love for the sinner, perfectly united on the cross, which is what we celebrated on Good Friday. That Christ bore the full brunt of the wrath that we deserved and that he died and that he was buried in the tomb. That Christ drank fully the cup of God's wrath that there's none left for us. And it didn't stop there. Three days later, Christ was raised on the third day according to Scripture that He appeared to His disciples. That three days later, He physically rose, that His body walked out of the grave. 
and not with a broken, damaged body that he died in, but a glorious resurrection body. And we read on later on in the chapter in verse 42 to 45. 42 onwards, right? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What was sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And brothers and sisters, we hold fast to the gospel because it's essential. It is vicarious and powerful. And when I say vicarious, what I mean is that the gospel vicariously unites us with Christ's death and resurrection. That when we're united to Christ in faith, that when we grasp onto the true gospel, this message of this good news, it saves us because through this faith in Christ, we are united with him in his death and we're united in his resurrection as well. Now, Scripture uses two images to highlight this. The first picture is that of adoption. You see, it doesn't matter what was the status of the orphan to begin with. Could have been a beggar off the streets, unwanted, uncared for, unloved, at the lowest social class possible. But if that orphan is adopted by the king, no matter the class of that orphan, with that adoption, that orphan becomes royalty. And that's what happened to us. No matter the status of us as sinners, when we were adopted by God the Father, we became Royalty, united with Christ. And the second picture that Scripture uses to, to, to highlight this union is marriage. That when two parties come together in marriage, all the debts of one party are joined with the wealth of the other in the marriage union. And that, that, that union is so strong which is why it scares the people of today and they sign prenups, right? But that's not biblical. The biblical idea of marriage is that the two become one. We had the debt of sin that we could not pay and the wealth of Christ's sacrifice united in a marriage union analogy, right? That he cancels out our debt. So in the storms of our life, we grasp on to Christ because only in being united with Christ that he, through his resurrection we can be raised beyond this life, beyond our storms, and to be raised with him. And that's what truly matters. And in doing so, we demonstrate the strength of the gospel, which is verses 5 to 11. And here we have a list of people that Jesus appeared to. He appeared to Cephas, the 12, and 500 brothers at the same time. He appeared to James, James, his brother, uh, the brother of Jesus, and to all the apostles, and verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, so you believed that the gospel is the same. The same gospel went out from the first uh, apostles. But here's the thing. If it is so amazing, if this gospel is so good, skeptics might ask, is it too good to be true? How can we be sure as we cling on to it with all our life that, uh, that it has the strength to bear the weight of the storms of life? How can we know that it won't turn out to become dental floss 
And the very simple is that we can trust it because it is true. That we know it is true because of who we received it from. We look at the list here that was listed out. Cephas and the 12 disciples, the closest ones to Jesus, were the same ones that abandoned him at the cross, before the cross. They all ran away when he was arrested, especially Peter, who especially denied Christ three times, isn't it? We have James, the Lord's brother, and we read in the gospel accounts that Jesus' earthly family thought he was insane and needed to be committed to an institution, right? They they thought he was crazy going around that they they had there to take him home, right? As if he was this one family member that went off crazily out in the public shouting things that doesn't make sense and that you as a family try to bring that member quietly home. And they wanted to do that to Jesus. And last but not least, we have Paul, who hated Christians with such a vengeance that he was putting them in prison, killing them, men and women. That all these men and women and much more were transformed because with their own eyes, they saw the truth of the risen Christ. That they proclaimed that message and that they died for that message. Now, historically, evidence-wise, there's not much we can say for a lot of them, but the ones we can know for sure, even, will tell us something. Peter, we know, was crucified in Rome. James, the apostle, not the brother of Christ, right, was executed by Herod. And we read of, read of his execution in Scripture. Paul himself was beheaded by Emperor Nero. And the difference of these men with suicide bombers or martyrs today is that these men we see here died for a proclamation of something that they say that they saw. They've seen a risen Christ. It's true. You can kill me. You can beat me. But I know what I've seen. Versus someone who has been radicalized and, you know, been told what is true and the, the firm conviction of what is true and thus die for that. So it doesn't matter how firmly you grasp, but there's a difference between grasping on a firm chain and grasping on dental force, right? So the evidential power of the apostles who's known, who's seen the risen Christ and died for that is far greater than that of someone who was told and then thus died for what they were told and what they believed for that they hold. So we hold fast to the gospel because it's essential, it's vicarious, and lastly, because it's powerful. And my last principle today is that the gospel is powerfully transformative. So what do we see from the testimony of these people who first passed on the gospel? I think we can take comfort when we look at this list. Because no matter what we're going through, no matter how painful or how overwhelming it is, even to the point of death, Dear Christian, know that you're not alone, that others have gone before you, faithful. That as the truth of the gospel sustained these men to death, so too it can sustain us as we go through our storms. And even as the grace of the gospel transformed them, so too it can transform all of us. That these men were cowards, even enemies of the cross, and the gospel of grace transformed them so too it can transform our cowardly, weak, and worldly hearts to be strong in the faith for Christ. And ultimately, 
that the gospel is good news because it achieves all that and it unites us with a God who is good news, a God who is holy in perfect beauty and justice, and a God who is merciful, who desires none should perish, who loves all and wants all to come. And we have a powerful God who is able to raise the dead to life and to make all things new. That is the God of the gospel and that is the God that we cling to in our storms. So we know that the storms will not overcome us if we hold fast to Him. Because in clinging on to God, it's not just that we're holding on to a chain and set our strength, but we're holding on to the source of life itself to be strengthened to be empowered to hold on through. And as important as it is, I've been emphasizing on us self-holding on. Take note that Paul was reminding the Corinthians of the need to hold on. There's a need for us to be reminding each other. And sometimes in the midst of the storm, we have our own blind spots that we forget the gospel. We could... Familiarity breeds contempt. We could forget the gospel. And we need others to remind us of the importance. For me, coming out of the sessions with my counsellor, who was a Christian, uh, he, he pointed me back to the gospel. He pointed me back to the truth. And more so than that, coming out of that, there was, there's a, he linked me with others so that we can remind each other and strengthen going on with the storms that we're facing. To, to hold each other accountable and to point us back to God. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Um, it says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Dear Christian, that we are not just, over, uh, we don't just stand despite the storm, but we recognize that the storm pushes us to the source of our strength. And so we rejoice this Resurrection Sunday. Let us not lose hope. Come, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the truth that you have revealed in the gospel, that you have revealed your heart for us, that you've given us yourself, that through your spirit dwelling in us, we can taste, O Lord, your presence. Help us, O Lord, to not take for granted all the good things you've given us. Help us, O Lord, to not forget, even though we're so forgetful. And help us, O Lord, to be always, not just holding on for ourselves, but to be seeking opportunities to be pointing others to be holding on to you as well, even as we walk through this life. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.